Hello, my name is Shireen. This is the second in a series of lectures on, on anaesthesia. Today we're going to focus on the pre-operative assessment of patients before an anaesthetic. Um, I'm going to run through basically what I saw happening at my hospital. Obviously every hospital has different ways of doing things but generally the principles are the same and much of the same questions are used in the assessment. So essentially up to two weeks before an operation um, a patient would come to pre-assessment clinic where a nurse would run through a series of questions and a survey with a patient um, where any issues may be flagged up. During this clinic, um, a consultant anaesthetist is present for the nurse to go and ask if, if they were concerned about anything. Where concerns are raised, the consultant anaesthetist would then see the patient, run through these issues and then decide whether or not the operation would be safe to go ahead and if the anaesthetic is safe. So the operation would either... Um, would either be cancelled because the risk of the anaesthetic um, would outweigh the benefits of the surgery or the anaesthetist um, would go on to discuss the case further with the surgeon and perhaps come up with an alternative form of anaesthesia, for example a nerve block or a local anaesthetic if the risks of the general anaesthetic were too high. Generally most of the patients that I saw were fit and well and, and there were no issues. After the pre pre-assessment clinic and when the patient's been accepted for the the operation they go home and come back on the actual day of the of the operation they'd stay in the surgical rece reception in the morning and very early on the surgeons would come down to consent the patients and the anaesthetist would come down to run through a pre-operative pre assessment which is what I'm going to go through with you today so this is this is an example of a, the preoperative assessment form. As you can see, it's all on one page, a very easy layout, and it just kind of um, encompasses the main points involved in in anaesthetics. So what I'm going to do today is just run through all the different parts of, of this um, assessment sheet and discuss why why each part has its own specific importance. So first and foremost, um, with all things in medicine, documentation is vital. These are all legal documents, so three points of identification must be used. The patient's name, the hospital number and the ID. If no stickers are available, you write it down, but these three points should be on there. And it's a very big topical thing at the moment to constantly be checking the patient's name and, and ID as they go through the operative process with this, with name bands, with the WHO, the WHO checklist. Going on to the next bit, so base, basic observations are performed in the morning by the nurse. So you'd want to know the patient's heart rate, blood pressure and temperature. You'd, on the day of the operation, the patient must be hemodynamically stable. As I said before in my previous lecture, the anaesthetic drugs tend to drive down the blood pressure. So a slightly higher blood pressure is not always a bad thing, but by and large, the patient needs to be stable. Height and weight, they're much more important in paediatric cases where the dosage of drugs um, need to be very carefully measured out, less so in adult cases. Okay, fine. So the next part of the assessment is to ask the patient what operation they're having. This seems quite obvious. Obviously, the patient knows what they're having. The surgeons know what they're having. You've been told what the patient should be having. Um, 
but it's also a good opportunity just to double check things with the patient you can never ask too many times and quite often I found it gave the patients the opportunity to ask a couple of more questions that maybe they didn't have time to ask the surgeons maybe they forgot to ask the surgeons and so they can ask they can ask the anaesthetist and anaesthetists tend to do the same elective lists week in week out so, so they know quite a bit about the the surgical um part of the the whole procedure as well so the, so the next point that is used on the um, assessment is looking at the ASA grade. ASA stands for the American Society of Anesthesiologists. And um, this is a grading system where a patient's given a number between one and five. And this basically looks at their preoperative health. So someone who's grade one would be a completely fit and well adult, no medical conditions, absolutely fine. Someone who's grade two has some mild systemic disease, um, but it doesn't really affect their life at all. And for example, um, someone who suffers from, I don't know, hay fever um, or eczema, something like that. Um, it should be noted that all patients who are aged over 80 are by default put into a grade two category just because of the risk of um, the operation for them. Um, grade three is, this is a se severe systemic disease um, that causes a limited amount of um, of effect onto their quality of life. So, for example, something like COPD. Grade four would be um, a systemic disease, which is much more um, much more effective, much more detrimental on their quality of life, um, and it's a constant threat to their life. And grade five would be a patient who's essentially moribund and they've got very, very high risk of uh, mortality from the anaesthetic. Generally, for elective cases, um, the patients that I saw were grade one or grade two um, and occasionally grade three. Urgency that you see here, it just basically refers to if the, if the operation is going to be elective or an emergency case. So... Again, taking a past medical history and a drug history from the patient. Um, past medical history is very important for conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis, where 90% um, of patients have some form of neck involvement. So commonly in rheumatoid arthritis, patients may suffer from atlantoaxial subluxation. And during the intubation process, their head is quite hyperextended. So this, this can become an issue. Other things, for example, obstructive sleep apnea, if the patient's on CPAP, you'd know that intraoperatively, um, from the anaesthetic point of view, they may have a difficult airway, there may be issues with hypoxia, um, if the patient's lying flat, there'd be issues with patients if you have to put them in the steep head down position. Um, these are all things that would basically raise alarm bells and all anaesthetists um, do consider. Drug history, again, this is important. What medications is the patient on? Some medicines, they need to be admitted, omitted before surgery, some omitted after surgery. If the patient's on a huge host of analgesics of chronic pain, this means that they've probably developed tolerance to a lot of the drugs that you'd be planning on using for the operation and pain would be an issue. Um, most hospitals that I've seen have a, a dedicated pain team which would, which would be called to address such issues. 
pre previous anaesthetic history. So um, has the patient had an anaesthetic before? How were they after the anaesthetic? If they haven't had an anaesthetic before themselves, have their family had an anaesthetic? Any problems with that? With the family having the anaesthetic? Because quite common, commonly these things do run in families. So this again would give the anaesthetist a heads up. So commonly a patient may say, you know, I wake up from the operation shaking, shivering, very, very cold. Um, so the anaesthetist would know just have an extra blanket ready for them to, you know, if they haven't already to use a bear hugger in the operation. Um, or the patient may say, for example, last time I woke up and I was just vomiting nonstop. So again, the anaesthetist, it would, they would know just to give them an extra um, antiemetic or if they weren't planning on using an antiemetic, then they would use an antiemetic in, in such a case. As with all things in medicine, alcohol, tobacco, recreational drugs, we ask it in all medical histories before anything that we do. So um, importantly from these points, tobacco, often you'd ask a patient, do you smoke? They'd say no. Say, did you used to smoke? They'd be like, yes. You say, when did you quit? They say, five days ago. Now, actually, it's been shown that quitting just days before your um, operation actually has an adverse effect um, from the respiratory point of view um, on you so the best thing to do is either be a complete non-smoker or if you're an ex-smoker to be an ex-smoker um from from months if not years years before recreational drugs again very important if the patient's a heroin addict um or an opiate addict of any of any sort then the morphine that you're going to give them is not really going to touch them and you're going to have to give a, quite a whacking dose of it to to get some pain control post-op again all this, all this assessment is doing is just raising issues that the anaesthetist should think about during the whole operative process. Also, one other point on that was allergies, which is very, very self-explanatory. Um, whilst asking about allergies, I often um, used to ask about non-steroidals. I'd say, are you okay taking aspirin, ibuprofen? Because again, this would give um, indications for stop pain control. Dentition. So um, all, ask all patients, do you have any loose teeth, caps or crowns? Um, and the airway, this is used to, to basically determine the, the, the ease, potential ease or difficulty situating a patient. So the tool that I've seen most commonly being used is this thing called the Malampati score. Um, and this is where a patient's given a number between one and four based on when they open their mouth and stick out their tongue, what you can see. So if you can see the whole uvula, they'd get a one. If you can see part of the uvula, they get a two. If you can't really see it, if you can see the soft palate, they'd get a three. If you only see half hard palate, they'd get a four. So um, quite self-explanatory. If they're a one, they're going to be very easy theoretically to intubate. If they're a four, they're not. Um, a lot of controversy exists as to the actual usefulness of the um, predictive value of this of this test, but it, it is done routinely. Um, an addition to this would be to add on an A, B, or C onto their patient onto the patient's malampati number. So, for example, if the patient is unable to bring their lower teeth in line with their upper teeth or in line in front of their upper teeth, they'd get an A. So they'd be, for example, a 2A or a 3A or a 1A. Or if they can bring their teeth, their lower teeth, in line with their upper teeth, but they can't bring it any further forward, this would be a B. So it'd be a 1B, 2B, etc. If they could bring their lower jaw right in front of their 
upper teeth, they'd be a C, which is great. You'd want the patient to be um, to be a C. So all patients um, need to be examined um, before the operation. So cardio and respiratory are the most important systems to examine. Cardio, have they got any murmurs? Any murmurs, if it's an elective case, need to, need to, need to be um, investigated before the operation. Respiratory symptoms, they got any crackles, any signs of any infect, active infection. Again, you'd, you'd want to avoid doing an operation in a patient who's, who's already got an infection there in their lungs. Now coming on to investigations, um, ECGs and x-rays aren't routinely done in, in anaesthetic um, cases unless there's there's an indication, so previous, previous cardiac history for the ECG or mainly if patients are above 60, they'd get an ECG as routine. But if they're less than 60 and perfectly fit and well, you wouldn't really bother. Um, x-rays, these are usually done from the surgical point of view part of the surgical workup but for example as we spoke about before if someone's got rheumatoid disease you might want to do a cervical x-ray just to just have a look at their their neck and others can be anything that that would be relevant to that specific case all patients require blood tests so you want to do a blood test looking at the hemoglobin level if the patient's anemic, this would um, increase the likelihood of intraoperative hypoxia. Um, you'd want to look at things like the clotting if the patient's on aspirin or if they're on warfarin. Um, you'd want to look at, you might want to group and save if, they're, if the, the HB's um, quite low or if, for example, you're thinking that it's going to be a great amount of blood loss in the um, procedure or the operation and another thing that's quite important is looking at the user needs because this would kind of tell you can I use non-steroidals post-op or should they be avoided and um, how important fluid management be how vital would it be post-op essentially I mean it's important for all patients but more so if they've got renal dysfunction and then finally it's just a discussion of the patient so this is the opportunity for the patient to ask any further questions that they may have regarding the anaesthetic. Usually I'd use this opportunity to run through the risks with the patient, risk of um, a tooth being knocked out, the risk of them waking up in pain but I'd assure them that we're we're going to be prescribing them an adequate amount of analgesia um, and they just have to ask the nurse if they're still still a bit in pain. And also um, I'd warn them that with the tubes that we put down the mouth, they, they may get um, a bit of sore throat post-operatively. Um, if the patient's having anything special, for example, a spinal anaesthetic, um, I would, I'd run through, or a nerve block, for example, I'd run through the risks um, associated with, with them as well. And as I said before, it's a legal document. Clearly, put your name down, your grade, you sign it and you date it. So that's basically looking at the preoperative um, assessment from an anaesthetic point of view. Um, as you can see, they're all very, um, you think they're basic things, but they're all very, very important things to um, consider. And they all give the anaesthetist vital clues as to what the patient may or may not need pre pre-op, intraoperatively and post-operatively.